Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by author, voice talent, and communications and outreach outreach manager of Envision Dallas, Blake Lindsay. Blake has been blind since infancy, so we're going to be talking about him, everything that he's up to. We're going to be talking about a new book that he has as well. So, Blake, thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, I'm glad to be on. I love the the name of your podcast too, and it's it's great to be on with you. And what a great day to be alive. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you for coming on. Uh, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, I tell you, I grew up in Indiana, at least until I graduated from high school. As an adult, though, I've lived in Texas about 40 years already and went to the school for the blind. I, I started out there anyway, and I'm real thankful for that. I'm totally blind, been totally blind since I was nine months old. And I guess I'll, I'll start then. My, my mom and dad were 25 and six years old when they noticed when I was about nine months old that my eyes did not look healthy. And to make it even worse, something very unique happened because I got a huge appetite, did back then as well. But for whatever reason, and then we found out soon uh, what, what that reason was, but I wasn't opening up my mouth, <laughs> you know, during uh, during feeding times, my mom would have the, the spoon of food ready to rock and roll and, and I wasn't receptive to it. So she knew that something was wrong. And uh, I chuckle about that because it had to be a little bit funny, at least that end of it. But but not really with your parents because you're concerned. And so they took me to several doctors and finally got the right panel of uh, people that knew exactly what I had. It was called retinoblastoma, which kind of sounds like dynamite, but it's a cancerous tumor. And they were able to get all of it out, Curtis. And it was really a, a blessing to do that. And uh, I've literally lived an out-of-sight life <laughs> since I was nine months old. But going back to kindergarten, I went to the school for the blind. Mom and dad made that decision since I wasn't old enough to. And I really am glad they did that. Because at that school, they don't give you any unnecessary breaks. The teachers know exactly what you can accomplish. They know what a person who's blind can do. Everybody's different and has unique uh, talents and, and skill sets and all. But the teachers didn't give us any unnecessary breaks there, which I didn't want any. You know, looking back, it's, it's always fun to get a break at the time. But later on, then you hindsight everything and you say, man, I sure am glad I went to the school for the blind because one of the first heroes I learned about was Louis Braille and how he accidentally poked himself in the eye when he was playing around in his dad's leather workshop with a belt poker, you know, that uh, drills the, the notches into the belt probably. And the infection got in his eye very badly and spread to his other eye. So at age three, Louis was completely blinded. And I, I was very fascinated by the fact that he was the one who created a tactile way uh, for, for me to be able to read. Are you, how much sight do you have, Curtis? Are you completely blind? I have been totally blind since birth due to okay. congenital glaucoma. You totally relate with me then on this. Absolutely. And, uh, so when we learned about Louis Braille, I got to say that it was pretty incredible when I learned that the same thing that poked him in the eye was in fact the same tool that he took a piece of paper with and was much more careful and put together a Braille alphabet at age 12. I don't know what you were doing at age 12, but I wasn't that smart yet. <laughs> and He came up with a tactile way for you and I to be able to read and write. And even military used it after dark, you know, when the lights were out, uh, they, they were able to, uh, you know, 
jot down a couple of things, probably with like a straight pen. I don't know what they use as a tool, but took a piece of paper and Louis Braille's uh, invention, you know, his composing Braille did not really become popular until years after he passed away at age 43. But what a phenomenal guy who was a professor, a musician, uh, you know, came up with a Braille concept, which I really, really like. Didn't like, didn't like it my first grade year. Uh, Do you remember this, Curtis? S kind of felt like P at the beginning and N feels like O a little bit, you know, when you don't put them beside each other, they, they feel quite a bit alike. And Q and R, those are the three sets that, that kind of puzzled me in the, at the first grade level. And in my second grade, my second grade teacher put those letters together that fooled me, that resembled each other somewhat. And I felt the difference and she knew that I would. And that's when Braille really became hot for me. I really enjoyed it and read a lot of books and uh, have written a lot of notes to people who are blind. And so it's a pleasure to think of heroes like that who literally were trailblazers for us in education and so that we could read and write and really have a normal life. And it really impresses people to to see that. Absolutely. And not only that, you have also come to be the communication and outreach manager at Envision Dallas. So tell the listeners about that job, how you got that and all about Envision Dallas. Well, it's a fun place to work. I got to tell you, I worked at Bank of America before in customer service for around seven years. I worked at Dallas Area Rapid Transit, known as DART, for a few years. And I worked for the Zig Ziglar Corporation. So I've had some good jobs and, and of course, broadcasting for 22 years of my life. I was a radio broadcaster. 106.1 KISS FM here in Dallas was a top 40 station I worked at for seven years and worked at a lot of stations for one or two years at a time because that's how the business is pretty much. But back in 2009, I got real excited when I met Nancy Perkins, who was the CEO at that time for a former Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind. And she said, Blake, I've heard all about you. I had just released a book called Out of Sight Living, A Blind Person with Pure Vision was the name of the book. And it was a an okay book. It was about my life and about my parents mainly and their victories and, and just what, what wonderful parents they were with good expectations for me and, and my siblings. I was the only one who was blind in my family. But when I met Nancy, she said, would you please speak to my groups over at Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind? I've got three different groups I want you to speak with. And I said, sure, Nancy, you know, you want me just motivate them and, and encourage them? And she said, yes, please. And just Tell them about your life and, and, you know, tell some stories. And I'm a good storyteller. I, I love telling true stories that inspire people. And so I got over there to former lighthouse, started talking to everybody and realized that they, they were excited about having me there. And, and many of them knew me from the radio, you know, cause that's what I did so much of here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And so many of them were familiar, but I got to know them and I was very inspired by them, equally inspired, I should say, because. Many of them had gone blind later in life, and that really is a confusing scenario to go through. Of course, your transition isn't at all amusing it, you know, in, until you get into it, until you realize, you know what, being blind is not as bad as I thought, but that's usually several months into it. And so a lot of the people that worked at Dallas Lighthouse told me their story, and they told me how excited they were to get around people who are blind and visually impaired and seeing them work hard and enjoying their job, finding that joy on the job. You know how that is. And so they uh, told me about their lives over there, Lighthouse, and everything that they liked about it. And it really was encouraging to me. And by the third time that I spoke there, I kept hearing that echo. I kept hearing that people were really encouraged. Camaraderie was big over there. Uh, The fact that people who were going blind later in life could be around those who had been blind longer 
you know, the people that could really be mentors to them. That was encouraging to me. I thought, man, there is a significant reason these places exist and I want to be a part of it. And I knew that Dallas Lighthouse had pretty much lost their way in a lot of ways on branding. A lot of people had forgotten who they were. Uh, I'd say the 1950s through the first part of the 90s, they had 35 years of complete success there. And a lot of people knew about them. Door-to-door sales you know, were a big factor for the lighthouses back in the 50s through the 70s. They would make products and get in trucks, course, driven by people who could see. <laughs> and they would go door-to-door. You know, They would literally go door-to-door with their dustpans, brooms, clocks. I think we made, yeah, we made that and understand that we made fly swatters, all kinds of things, really, household products. And so they would go door-to-door. So everybody and their mom and grandma knew who, who Dallas liked for the Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind was until mid-90s. They just totally lost their way. I got there in 09, but Nancy Perkins agreed that you know she would help me uh, you know, learn everything about that place. And she had asked me if I'd be a consultant. And I said, I got a better idea. I'd like to come to work full-time if there's an opportunity for communications director. And she said, sure, Blake. I didn't know you were available like that. I'd love to have you. And we hit it off. And I'd say the first eight or 10 years, I've been there for 13 now. And the first first eight years, I should say, were were okay. But then I met Michael Monafrani over at Envision. And I got to meet Michael eight years ago. And Michael and I became friends. I, I was helping with a radio station that uh, Wichita's Envision had bought, KKGQ, 92.3 FM. And uh, it was it was a great opportunity to Wolf on the radio, long distance, because I had never done voice tracking before. And so I met Michael and, and Heather Hogan at that time. I was working with Michael. And so they gave me an opportunity to do a couple of weekend shifts and to make some presentations up there in Wichita four or five times a year. And so I got to know Michael really well. And I said, Michael, I want you to meet my CEO. His name is Hugh McElroy. He's a visionary like you are. And y'all are not identical, of course, but y'all have a lot of similar mindsets. And I wanted Hugh and Michael to meet each other. And I told Hugh McElroy the same thing. And they got together. And uh, as soon as they met, they they really got to know each other and, and realized that they were on the same page. Although Wichita at that time was doing much, much better than Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind was. And so Hugh McElroy decided to step aside and uh, enable an acquisition to occur. That happened back on May 1st of 2018. And we're just so excited uh, the, the long way that we've come in the last five short years, it's been unbelievable to see the growth and the people that Michael has made sure lead the way over at Envision Dallas. And so Envision Dallas, just like Envision Wichita, hires a whole lot of people who are blind and visually impaired. We're right at about 80% in manufacturing. We've got manufacturing loads of products for the military and some for commercial. Got an incredible sewing center. We've got a call center with 40 seats. It's got, I guess, 50 seats maximum. About 40 people occupy those seats currently, most of who are blind or visually impaired. Started out that only about 40% were blind and visually impaired, and now it's up around 90% from what I understand. So it's really, it's it's uh, probably right just about 100% actually at this point, but uh, between 90 and 100. So incredible growth. We got a new building that we're going to move into. It's a, a building that's about 30 years old, actually, but it, it's one that was empty and AT&T call center used to occupy that building and they moved out because of the parking issues. There was not enough parking available for all the people that worked there. Well, guess what? People who are blind don't drive. So over 50% of our staff doesn't need that parking. 
but we've got loads of square footage, 210,000 square feet. Our current place only has 90,000 square feet. So right now, currently our fulfillment center, our warehouse is actually uh, eight miles off property. It's a different location. And so we'll be able to literally bring everything together and double our call center space. And it's just been a blessing of a 13-year tenure that I've had over at Envision Dallas, former Lighthouse. But the last five have been the most incredible by far. And uh, I love working with Envision Wichita and getting to go up there and see the motivation take place up there that uh, people are excited to come to work every day. We've got a a 401k and a full-time plan. So I did a lot of public jobs before out in the public, I should say. But this is one of the most fulfilling jobs that I've ever had in my in my career. And I've been working full-time pretty much since 19, yeah, okay. 1983 was, was uh, when I pretty much started working right out of high school. Well, tell us about some of the other jobs, because you know, being blind, you have a lot of accessibility issues. So, so tell us about the other jobs that you worked in and how you were able to work around it, you know, with stuff like the bank and, and, and the transit and all that. Well, I, in 1979, when I took a uh, when I when I took a career center occupational summer course for radio and television, I really was just using old school stuff at that time. I learned how to operate the board. We actually worked with turntables and cart machines back at that time, and then you know about 1988 is when people started going CDs. Yeah, about 88 on CDs, and then about 2001 they began using the hard drive. You know, and, and that's that was a step backward for me. But beforehand, I was really using a micro cassette recorder to record the out cues of my commercials because you had to fire off your commercials back then. And I wanted to be really tight. And I was because I would uh, I would put the out cues. That's the last couple of words of the commercial onto a micro cassette recorder. I would also put the titles of the songs that were on carts that I could not play in cue at that time. It was before CDs. But then I'd have a producer, usually a college student, would come in there and they would line everything up for me. It'd take them about 15 minutes uh, t- to put the last hour away and then line up in the next hour. And they, c- they could go in the next room then and study. And if I needed them, I'd call them. But they, I was completely independent for about 45, 50 minutes every hour. I could completely operate the old school way. Uh, but then times changed. When I went to Bank of America in 1994, I knew that I was going to require a power braille because the computer that I used, I knew that I wanted to be able to see everybody's accounts because they were going to call me and ask me questions and things that were were wrong about their accounts that maybe they had gotten into some mishaps. Easily help them by using a Braille navigator is called you know Power Braille, and that's an eighty character Braille display that doesn't consume any paper whatsoever. So everybody was really amused at what I was able to tell them that I needed, and fortunately. It was right before Windows. We were using DOS in early 1994, and everything was completely compatible. Nothing had to be scripted. I couldn't believe it. Everything just kind of set in place, and I was able to utilize this Braille equipment and see everybody's account, and uh, it was so inspirational for everybody. And I had some really good trainers. I had some of the best trainers that former Nations Bank, that was who I actually went to work for. We became Bank of America in 1997, but the first the first three-plus years, it was Nations Bank, and they provided me the best trainers who were very impressed with me, but I was impressed with them as well and looked up to them and their guidance a lot. And the, the, uh, we had a 100-question product test and a 100-question systems test on the computers. 
I was more nervous about the computers because I really had very little computer experience prior to 1994. I was a good typer because I learned typing in school, especially at the School for the Blind. And they made sure that we knew how to type really well because they knew that we would need that skill. But back when I was in school, computers really did not become popular for people who are blind until about 1991. I noticed some popularity growth with people's desires to learn how to use computer. Mine came in into effect in 94 because that's when I needed it. And so when I got to Bank of America, former Nations Bank, I got excited about our technology. I thought, man, I can finally do something outside of radio. I can put my suitcase away and be stable for a while. And uh, we were required to take 160 calls a day in customer service, answering all kinds of questions that they taught us the answers to. And we had to be sure of ourselves. That was a guarantee. And if we didn't know the answer, then we would approach our supervisor or, you know, one up it or, or whatever we had to do at that time. But that was the best experience for me, Curtis, because at that time I had only done radio broadcasting and telemarketing. And when I had a telemarketing job, it was usually a sales job. And what I would do is, again, I would record a bunch of telephone numbers onto a recorder. And I would call those numbers. I would know the name, you know, who I was calling. And then I would take my notes in Braille. And so that way I could read my notes back to the courier who would go out and pick up the checks for donations when I was doing charity fundraising. And then, you know, I'd, I'd sell aluminum siding. I sold insurance. Uh, phone sales were never that fun for me, but it certainly was, was a valuable experience learning about people. And that gave me a lot of experience prior to customer service working with people. So it seems like every job that I've ever had uh, has significant reasons, and it it just leads me along the path that I've been on to be better than at, at my next job. And so uh, telemarketing helped my communication skills and customer service. Customer service skills taught me how to compromise with people, how to how to be a much better listener. I always thought I was a good listener because I'm blind, so why not, right? But really, in fact, I wasn't a good listener. There's a lot of things that I would miss that people would say, but I got into customer service. And after that first year or so, I became an incredibly good listener because of customer service. And so that job really uh, improved my listening skills way more than I ever thought possible. And uh, and it was one of the most difficult jobs I ever had. And so it was a good brain stretch for me. And that's what I needed at that point in my career was a good brain stretch, (laughs) something to make me think a little bit. And it's helped me to be a good writer, and to be able to uh, use my mind more. Broadcasting, you kind of, you're spontaneous and you use your mind because you're a communicator. So you have to think fast, but you're not really learning a lot. At least I I wasn't because I wasn't doing talk shows like you are. You learn a lot because you're doing podcasts, you're talking to people and you're learning a lot each time you talk to somebody new about whatever, you know, and that's uh, when I was a DJ, it was pretty much just top 40 high energy radio talking to listeners, giving them stuff on the radio. But now, you know, I'm, I'm learning something every day at Envision Dallas. I'm learning how to really help people. I go out and I talk to companies about our capabilities, what Envision Dallas can do in the workplace. And then I take people through on tours. And so I try to enable more employment opportunities through that capacity, being able to go talk to folks about what we can do. And I, I mentioned, you know, our, our very few limitations, what those are and how they can be overcome. And that's what I used to do when I got a sighted job is I would talk to my program director about what I could do. And I would tell my program director what I couldn't do, but here's how we can overcome that. And that's what I always try to educate all people who are blind about is when you're going to try to get a sighted job, 
we cannot expect them to understand or even believe it until they see it, what we can do because they haven't had the experience. How would they know? And I often think today, if I were excited, how would I know if I didn't know a person who's blind really well on what they could do, you know? And so I'm not mad at anybody anymore when they think that we're unable to do much because until they find out otherwise, uh, then they're incredibly impressed and pleased. And they're glad that they took that win-win gamble, that partnership and uh, made a reality out of it. So I've been able to inspire a lot of people, but again, people have inspired me. And, and I think we all have to agree that we all have hurdles to hop over, whether you're blind or you're sighted. And Curtis, you and me have unique hurdles uh, that are unique to blindness a lot of times, but everybody's got an equal amount probably of obstacles to overcome. And so I think you and I can really get out there and relate with people because we know that people are stumbling and so are we sometimes. But I think people are pleased that we're able to get up and around things and to come up with new ideas, unique ideas, how we can do our jobs better and be more capable and competent in the workplace. And so uh, we have an incredible opportunity to encourage people just because we're blind. It kind of gives us a special edge that God gave us without us really even having to be incredibly special. I consider myself an average person, really. My grades were 3.2. I never really got the 3.5 high honor roll. I was usually average honor roll, uh, you know, just above a three-point grade average. So I, I could have tried a little bit harder. I admit that. But I'm not a genius at all. But I've been able to be blessed with the right opportunities, and I've made the most of each opportunity. And like I said now, for the last 13-plus years, I've had an incredible opportunity to be able to educate all kinds of people what people who are blind can do so that they hire us for for different uh, assignments on occasion, or they'll uh, give us money for our services. They see what incredible services we have with assistive technology training and orientation, mobility, occupational therapy, everything that we offer, you know, takes money. And sometimes people don't have money to pay. No problem. Of course, we let them in and give them a lot of help. And so you can really make people understand that what they're giving to is a, an incredible uh, way that we can help people advance to the next level of their independence, especially those of, who have lost their sight later in life. They need all the assurance and all the, uh, all the help really, you know, recommitting to their independence and we can help them do that. And then they see some simple tools that they're like, man, I didn't even think of that, you know, cause they're confused at first and they don't, they really can't think of much of anything. But then as soon as they start finding out a few things they are like, I sure am glad I came over here and took a tour and found this out. And you guys have some incredible stuff. A lot of it's more simple than I thought. And then I've had a lot of people too, Curtis, come up to me and say, you know what, Blake, becoming blind might be one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I hated it when it happened, but later I really found out that not only am I able to encourage a lot of other people who are not blind, but I'm able to be a better listener now. I'm able to appreciate life more. I'm able to not take anything for granted like I used to. And so I've seen people's life actually improve from going blind after they get over the shockaroo and over the disorientation of all of it. Well, talk about since you were a broadcaster for so long, how do you feel about the state of, of radio? What do you think is headed? I'd say when I was 35 years old, before, before I was 35, I'm 58 today. I'm 58 years old today, Curtis. And... I started liking news talk radio when I was 35. I started noticing that I was learning a lot and I was able to really appreciate it for the first time in my life. So that's really what I like today is news talk and sports personality. You got a lot of personality in sports. 
but I don't like uh, the state of DJ radio uh, because they, they've lost their personality in giving local, local people the prizes. Uh, they have a lot of national contests now for the big stuff, the big winnings, the $10,000 prizes, the big, you know, things that make people can be life changing sometimes. You know, when you win 10 grand or more or you win a, a house, I remember we used to, we, we gave away houses and cars and all kinds of things on the radio to local people. And so we loved that. And a lot of it was trade out. So we weren't spending the money in a lot of, a lot of cases, the stations didn't have to spend big money. They just had to do a lot of advertisement for whoever they got the trade out with. And so uh, that and the fact that the stations, when we would give away cash prizes, we were revenueing at that time around $23 million a year in revenue. So we could afford to give away $2 million a year or whatever over, you know, uh, different, different ways. Uh, and that was really helpful to radio. It made it exciting. You had all demographics listening to top 40 music here at Kiss FM in Dallas. A lot of times we'd have a 60-year-old a person listening to top 40 music because they wanted to win something and they liked our personalities. We could put a lot of local personality into radio. Uh, when I got to work at, at Q92 in Wichita, from here, I used to get on the website so that I knew exactly what was happening in Wichita. And it made it really fun for me because I felt like I lived in Wichita. I would get up on those sites with my wife. She would help me to know what was happening for families. You know, you could take your family to a lot of free stuff or, or low expense stuff I would look for. And I would talk about that. And so a lot of people thought I was really live right there in Wichita because I had good equipment. And so it was really, but the state of radio depends on what you're in, you know, a nice podcast like you do. That kind of radio is here to stay, as far as I can tell. I think people are always loving learning about stuff that they don't know about or learning more about things that they're interested about already. They like to hear sports personalities get on and crack up, tell jokes, talk about life. So people are always uh, attracted to that, that kind of thing. When you can stop down and talk about stuff and relate to people, that's what radio is. That's what radio should be. And so uh, some of radio lost its way. But some of it is still as good as it's ever been. Okay, well, tell us about your books. Tell us what listeners can expect when they read them. And also talk about how you got into writing and, and your biggest influences as far as writing. Well, I was eager to write about my family. Because my family really, really had a lot of impact on my life because they had expectations. They did not want me to sit on the sidelines. They wanted me to be a part of society and be a contributor. And uh, my dad was very instrumental in that. And so was my mom. And so when I wrote, wrote my first book, I really went down memory lane on my life. The people who, who the employers that opened the doors for me took a gamble. We turned it into a win-win partnership. They're glad they did it. So am I. I'm grateful to them. And so I, I gave them credit. I wanted uh, in my books, I wanted parents to be encouraged no matter what disability their child had. I wanted those parents to be there like my parents were, because without my parents really pushing me, I don't know how good I would be today. And I, I really don't consider myself, again, really much above average, other than my mom and dad pushed me. They believed in me. And I learned how to communicate with people about what my needs would be and how we could get those taken care of. And so I never left doubt in anybody's mind. And so my books really are about how to how to approach employers when when you have a disability and how you could really use that dis disability to inspire people and and not to feel like you are not going to get the job because of that disability you got to come in prepared like a boy scout or girl scout and take care of business tell them what you need don't expect them to relate with you 
you need to tell them. And so my books really educated people on that, but also on my school experiences and lessons learned. My most recent book is my favorite book. And the reason is, is because my dad pitched in with me and wrote part of the book. It's called Overcoming Obstacles and Getting Extraordinary Results. And when I wrote that book, I wrote the stories, all of them. I wrote 10 chapters. I made it an easy, fun read. And then my dad took the lessons learned from each stories. Wanted to make sure that people really got the true meaning of the story and applied it to their own life. And then my dad created these little three-question assessments for them to give themselves after each chapter. So they would read the chapter, kind of read the lessons learned from the chapter, and then they would take the three-question assessment if they're really doing the book right. And I love that. And at the very end of the book, there's a uh, an accumulative assessment that's several questions and probably takes about a 30-minute period of time to do right. But this last book that I wrote is one of those that you can really read and take all the tests and everything in a week and, and not not overread. I mean, you can just, you know, read a basically a chapter a day. It's only 10 chapters. So I guess you could stretch it out over 10 days. But a lot of times the, cha- the chapters are short enough. You can read a, two chapters a day if you wanted to. So typically people get through this book in a week and they're glad they took the assessment because it provoked their mind to think in a positive way on some improvements that they need to make. And so that's mainly what my books have been about is improving, uh, striving to get better all the time, which I still am at age 58. I plan on retiring maybe in uh, 20 years, but if, if, if God's willing, I know I am, I'd like to work another 20 years and uh, enjoy every minute of it. I don't, I'm not eager to retire at all. And I notice that people that stay plugged in uh, tend to live longer. They're happier. Their minds are sharper. They're better communicators and they still feel like a contributor because they are. So I, I intend on, on remaining that as long as I can. I'm not one of these guys that, yep, I'm going to retire when I'm 68. I'm not one of those guys. I'm going to go to I'm 78 to 80, I hope. My dad's 83 and a half and still works full time on purpose with a purpose. And, uh, you know, finding your purpose. This book definitely helps you to kind of find your purpose a little bit, but it helps you to really just try to accelerate yourself and be all you can be every day. Find joy on the job as much as you can and to help other people do the same thing in your workplace. Okay. Well, who, who are some of your biggest uh, influences, like like your favorite authors or people that encourage you to do what you do when it comes to writing? Well, you know, Zig Ziglar's always inspired me. He wrote 30 books before he passed away. Zig Ziglar was a master in motivation on a lot of levels. And Zig went through a lot that I was aware of. And so I saw a, a gentleman that was able to uh, not just talk the talk. He walked, he walked the walk that he talked about. And Zig was a motivator for about 40 years and wrote 30 books in that time and changed people's life. I saw that happening. I don't know that my books are, are life-changing. I guess they can be in certain situations. I tend to write a shorter book. Mine, mine typically are about 118 pages as opposed to hundreds. And I try, I try to, I didn't like to read a lot when I was younger. So I try to make my books fun to read, but I want them to have impact. I want them to have significance to them, but I don't want it to be a dread. I want people to realize, Hey, I can get through this book in a week and learn something. And, uh, and so my, my favorite authors are Zig Ziglar, Joel Olstein. As, as far as the, the books that impacted my life, I, I like some of Tony Robbins philosophies. Uh, he's a little bit more new age, but he's got some good concepts as well on some things. And so I, I like to most mostly read inspirational books, but it's it's been fun to read other books also growing up. You know, when I was in elementary school, I, I liked uh, 
bed knobs and broomsticks, you know, in some of those childhood books that make us smile and make us fantasize and make us wish we could fly around on a bed, you know, uh, just, just things like uh, creativity. And as you get older, you realize how creative those authors were as well on writing fantasy, just make believe fun stuff to read that makes you smile and makes you, you know, and, and so there's nothing wrong with that kind of writing. I, I never really read the, the Harry Potter books and I'm not against them. I, I don't, I just never really took interest, I guess, but, but I had a lot of amazement, you know, for, for that author as well. And so there's a lot of authors that are solid that I haven't even picked up on yet. And I need to get back into the, the habit of reading a book a month. I did that for a while. And that really uh, was very fulfilling. I wrote a book called Tipping Point about sales and about, you know, when, when certain things reach a tipping point, when they start changing the most. And the book gave the illustration of New York City was a crime, just a crime ridden city, horrible. Then Rudy Giuliani turned it around and uh, talked about how Rudy did it and how people responded to it and what a safe place New York City became for several years to follow and even with the next mayor after Rudy. So it's all kinds of books out there that are good. I need to read more than I do, to be honest with you. And I encourage people to try to read the right stuff, listen to the right podcast, because it enables you to be smarter, to be more knowledgeable. And when you get to be more knowledgeable, you're more capable and more competent. And, uh, and I encourage everybody to try to master a skill every year, you know, to learn learn Spanish maybe or you know, do something that enables you to be able to do something you could not do a year ago. And so it's important to kind of look at yourself every year. How am I more confident, capable? How am I more influential? Am I, in, am I influencing people in a positive direction with my books, with my actions, really with your actions and uh, with your conversations, speaking opportunities? Am I inspiring people to be better? You know, that's that's influence and we can all influence each other. You're influencing people with your great podcast, you know, and it's it's an honor to be able to do that. So I always kind of go through that list every year. How am I more confident? How am I more capable? How am I more influential this year? You know, and those are key. How am I more knowledgeable? And you you set a pace for next year. How am I going to how am I going to be more knowledgeable next year, a year from now? So you start kind of paving the way. What am I going to do different to create an environment where I can gain more knowledge this year, gain a skill this year, uh, be more influential through speaking engagements that I need to maybe get more of and that kind of thing. I, lifelong learning, man, it's just really the older you get, the more you want to know and the more you want to help other people. You become less and less selfish as you get older and you you become more in tune to people's needs and the fact that we all, again, have hurdles to hop over and it's, it's up to all of us to help each other hop over those hurdles. You tell people when you're going through something, that way people can be on your side rooting for you. But then when you have the victory, when it's all over with and you're on the other side of it and you're, you're through the obstacle, overcoming it, people applaud you, but they also learn from that. You know, they're able to really say, man, it was really impactful for me to be able to see Curtis or Blake get through something that seemed to be very, very tough at the time. And I'm glad that they shared that with me. I'm glad that they told me what they were going through and how they were able to overcome it and get on the other side. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Right now, I get to talk to a lot of school kids on Fridays. It's really a joy of mine to be able to mainly talk from fourth to eighth grade for the most part. And I'm teaching them empathy, which basically is relatability. What's it like to be blind? 
And so I work with a, a group called To Be Like Me, and it's another 501c3 that I got to partner with through, through Envision Dallas. And To Be Like Me has nine different disabilities, people with disabilities of different types. And we all increase people's knowledge on our capabilities, how we get through day to day, what does a typical day look like for us, and how, how are we able to live our lives to the fullest. And so when the kids first get there, they feel sorry for us like you would expect. They don't know any better. And so they feel sorry for me because I'm a totally blind guy and they can see my white cane and everything. And at the end of that field trip, uh, they get to go through a rotation of, of five different disabilities. They're 18 minutes each. And they, they come away enlightened realizing, you know what? When I'm an employer, I'm going to be able to hire these guys. You know, I'm going to be able to hire people like them because I know that they're overcomers and I know that they work around things that inspire the whole troop. And so it's really fun to see that transformation from sympathy to empathy, feeling sorry for to being relatable to. And then when they see us in public, these kids come right up to us and say, hey, you know, remember me? Or maybe they meet another person who's blind that they never met. They, they now know how to lead the person around and they know, you know how to go sighted guide and how to be able to be colorful when they're describing things that they're seeing along the way. You know, maybe they're walking through a shopping strip. They can say here on your left is or. And you ought to see the beautiful blue sky today. I mean, I, I really enable them to understand that being colorful and telling us what things look like in a movie theater. They're always like, do you like movies? Well, of course I do. You know, we understand about 90% of it through the dialogue that we hear. But that 10%, my wife, Jennifer, fills in with these little five, se five second or so nutshells of information in a whisper. And so people, that's, that's kind of my big project right now is, is doing a lot of that, introducing my book to a lot of a lot of people, a lot of leaders that are looking to be more compassionate in the workplace, because I think Envision's leaders are compassionate and they realize that there are certain things that they need to have comprehension of and understanding uh, how we need help getting through. But then we all come up with solutions together. And I tell you what, it, it just makes for a good workplace. And so I'm trying to speak to more leaders so that they can kind of understand that everybody's always, you know, it, most most people are going through at least one obstacle a year that's pretty significant, and we all need a little extra compassion and uh, work through, you know, and being able to communicate well with each other. Well, so people can keep up with all the wonderful things that you're up to, throw out your contact info. That's right. Yep. Contacts are important and keeping up with people and just making new friends all year, trying to really reach out and get to know what, what people are struggling with, what people are, are triumphant with. I try to keep up with technology the best I can. That's always been fun to be able to talk with people who are blind about their favorite technology. I know when the iPhone came out, I hated it for the first day or so, you know, getting, getting familiar with a, a touch screen that did not have buttons on it. I was used to buttons, of course. And by the third day, I loved that thing. And I was so appreciating, you know, Steve Jobs, who was CEO over at Apple. And he decided, you know what? I want my stuff to be accessible for anybody with disabilities. And, and so blindness, for the first time, we had a smartphone that we didn't have to go out and spend an extra $300 on. <laughs> you know, my first smartphone, Curtis, was a, a Motorola Q phone. And I bought a $300 talking software for it that worked well for a week. And it finally crashed the phone. It was too much for it. And I was out the $300 and there was really nothing I could do about it. And I simply wanted caller ID. I wanted to know who was calling me so that I would you know, pick up the phone or not. That's when telemarketers started becoming a nuisance and whatnot. And 
So, you know, the iPhone, I'm often showing off my money reader app, Be My Eyes app, you know, being able to have a virtual sighted guide. People are blown away with that technology and they, they go from feeling sorry for us to really feeling inspired that we have so many solutions and that even though we can't see anything, which is still mind boggling to most people that can see, they realize that we're not letting that get us down. And so it gives us an extra edge and an extra responsibility, really, uh, to get out there and inspire and make a difference in people's life, which I'm sure you're doing every day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Blake Lindsay, I'm sure all your books are on Amazon, correct? Yes. Yep. I make sure of that. And you can also go to the Envision website and purchase a book that way as well. There's a link on the Envision website. Okay. So EnvisionUS.com? Yes. EnvisionUS.com. And Curtis, I can give my telephone if if you don't mind me giving my telephone number. Yeah, people, go right ahead. People are sure welcome to call me. You know, I'll be glad to encourage you. Hopefully, I'm sure you'll encourage me as well. But if you know somebody who's blind or losing their sight, people like Curtis and myself, man, we can get them fired up. Uh, not the end of their life at all. And my number is two one four four two zero nine four one one. So I like the 9411. That's the easiest part of it. But 214-420-9411. Keep in touch. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. And please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. Be sure to tell a friend about the show. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions or just want to say hi, you can hit me up at cjackson102 at cox.net. Blake, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your inspirational story. You're very welcome. And thank you, Curtis, for having me on and for all the great you're doing with the podcast. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.